0: conversations with alaskan gardeners on the air again what a stunningly beautiful gardening morning it is and what a stunningly beautiful gardening season we are entering oh boy oh boy oh boy
1: yeah can't wait to see what may brings you know you never know april's usually our driest month and this april certainly proved this to be it certainly so. was
0: wasn't it oh uh-huh. what a day what a what a long string of beautiful days
1: the cold oh cold Cold, cold. And it's really hard in the spring, especially when you have young starts and, you know, you're anxious to put them in your, the garden. And, you know, even though you have plastic on it and stuff like where we are, we're quite a few temperatures colder than where it is in the valley.
0: We still have piles of snow.
1: Well, not very many, but still, it's the right. difference between our, our holdings in Montana Creek and the ones up at the house, at least a 10 to 10 degree difference
0: and isn't it amazing to know that it's warmer in montana creek than it is on the back loop up
1: on uh, up on our little knob Uh yeah a lot warmer
0: so So, i've been going to people's houses a lot in the last couple weeks have
1: you been blabbing
0: i have been blabbing and looking and poking and digging with my shovel and looking around at the ground and seeing what's happening and the the common thing that people are talking about Besides winter damage, there's been a lot of talk about winter damage, but they're also talking about how to handle the moisture that's moving across their property. The surface water. The surface water. Okay, As this is
1: a fo- call-in show too, if people want to call in and contribute, Dave.
0: Oh, they can, that's right. You don't just have to listen to me. 907 586 uh, six one eight800 gets us on the air. And you can ask us about any kind of horticultural things.
1: Or, or anything.
0: Well, maybe there's some things I don't want to talk about. <laughs> Okay, so uh, moving across, because so much of the the water was frozen up and held and, and where it had been released slowly in previous years or just as rainwater, now it's coming in big rushes as the snow is melting and whatever's been kind of blocked up suddenly comes rushing through onto people's property. I've seen small landslides. I've seen large earth movements. I've seen things being washed out i've seen trees being undercut by the water running under them that's
1: a really scary thing
0: isn't it though man Uh, and and particularly when it's a big tree and it starts pumping
1: somehow it always seems to be a big tree i mean sometimes you see little trees but usually it's those big ones that you really worry about Mm -hmm. so um the thing about the water A lot of people like to think that having a French drain is the answer to having water problems. But in my experience, in my life, I'm not saying French drains don't work. That's not what I'm saying. But French drains are really for groundwater, things that are happening underground, like the bottom of a slope or around the foundation of your house. But most of the water we deal with here. Is surface water, and there's a lot of it. That's right. And you have to have some place for it to go. And in really tight neighborhoods like in the Mendenhall Valley, you know, unfortunately, when they developed a lot of those lots, you know, the first lot was the highest one. And by the time they get to the house 15, two blocks down the street, it's at the lowest spot. And so all the water tended to go there, not directed on purpose. But that's just water always. The lay of the land.
0: Water seeks the lowest spot. Uh-huh. And and so many times, that person at the end has nowhere for the water to go. Right, they're because they're at the low spot. They're at the low spot, and the next thing there is is the forest, and it's higher. Right, And, and the street is higher. So yes, they're kind and of, the
1: street is higher. The street
0: is higher, so they're at the end of receiving a tremendous amount of water. So what are they going to do?
1: I've never forgotten going to that house.
0: There are so many of them.
1: No, that particular house we were both thinking of. Mm-hmm. What do you do? You, you so dealing with surface water is a big deal.
0: If you end up being the lake for your neighborhood and there's no place for the water to go, then you just have to build up. Yep, you have to. That's the only thing you can do really there because, you know, if the storm drain inlet is higher than your property is, it's just not going to happen. You're not going to get the water into the street into the stormwater inlet. You're not going to get the water to go anywhere else if you're surrounded by higher properties.
1: But there are a lot of people who aren't in that situation, and often the surface swale is a way to deal with water to direct it to somewhere. And usually, it's going through a lawn or the edge of a lawn that so they can still maintain it, whether it's with a weed whacker or a, a lawn mower, depending on how severe it is. Um, but it doesn't take much to it get. It doesn't the take much water to travel from a high point to a low point especially if you have somewhere that low point can take the water
0: mm-hmm. and what margaret's talking about when she says a swale is is like a jet gent- a gentle curve on the surface of the ground where the higher part is going to direct the water off to the lower part but it doesn't just puddle the lower part has a place for it to go you make it kind of snake around and go someplace so you can get to a place where it goes into a lower area in the forest or a lower part of your property, or you even have to dig a big hole and fill it with rock.
1: Because it's all about surface water, you know? So it's not, let's go down six feet and put a pipe in it and line it with rock and do all that, because very few places have water that deep. I'm not saying there aren't any, but that's not what most people deal with.
0: It's mostly the surface. Right, and, and that kind of work with the excavator and the and the ditches and the rock filled with the pipe in it, you know, that's that's uh, not only really expensive, but it it is uh, of of particular use, if like you're saying the water's coming underground, or if the water is uh, soaking into your foundation, or something like that, where you really have to manage it like that. But for amenity kind of water on your surface. You know, shaping the ground so it slopes away, and it doesn't have to be much. Right. You know, uh, just a couple inches in ten feet will make the water go there. You know so what I mean by that when I say that? Yes, of I do. course you do. You're a landscape architect. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but we can talk about all kinds of things. I know okay. you're all out there being busy in the sunshine, so I don't mind that you haven't called in. But call us up.
0: Okay, and there Ask is us a question. There's some other things that are happening right now, too. As uh, the yard comes back to life and you begin to see buds swelling. Primroses are blooming. Primroses are coming up, that's right. And pulmonaria is coming up. And the peonies are beginning to put their little fingers up in the air. All that stuff is happening. But there are some garden tasks now that are, uh, it's it's a really good time to do them. And one of those is pruning deciduous shrubbery. So spireas, not lilacs. But roses, roses, and uh, oh, any of the other stuff Hybrid cranberries, service berries. Honeysuckle? honeysuckle shrubs. That's right. Jim called me up and told me this last week about his honeysuckle, the red-flowering Arnold honeysuckle. He bought from us thirty years ago. I don't
1: even know if we can get those anymore. Oh, you know, it's like those it's old, so old-fashioned. Uh, they yes. so old-fashioned. They've all gone to these hybridized things that you know but the old standards are fabulous and fast growers
0: Well, we have to go to a, a place in, an old old grower that still has that stuff in their cycle
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know like those guys in the mountains above your parents house right right munns not M- uh, munns oh uh, yes Nope, not Mons, but Up something there on like Skyline. that uh-huh. Uh-huh. right and they're really an old time grower but and i looked at their list and that's what they've got they've got snow mountain spirea They've got quinces. They've got you know, honeysuckles. honeysuckles. Yep, you bet you. Uh, good morning, conversations.
1: Um, I've got a question about my lawn. Um, so th- I've got some holes that are or places that are starting to kind of dip. Can I just put some sand in there and kind of level it off? Will that, that work? That's sure. what we do. And and you need to kind of pack it down you know okay uh,
0: but you don't fill the whole hole up at once if it's more oh, than okay. if, it's, if it's more than, than uh, an inch or two about a, about an inch and a half or two inches is as much as you ever want to put on at one time
1: so okay. if you've got a
0: hole that's six inches deep you do a couple of inches and the grass will grow up through that and root into that and then you do it again and then you do it again
1: of course you can okay. always seed on top it's a okay. little too cool right now for seed, but in another yeah. 10 days or so, it should be just right. Can I use the play sand?
0: You can use the play sand, but you can also go to uh, AgPro and uh, buy yeah. it in bulk. You know, it's,
1: yeah, um, I don't need that much.
0: <laughs> well, then there you go. Play sand <laughs> yeah, would okay. work just fine. Thank okay, you. You betcha.
1: <laughs> Everybody's going to be dealing with their lawns. They all look like you know what. And, uh, and every
0: spring it is like this, too, no, as the ground thaws out. this year,
1: it's worse this year.
0: Oh, I it is.
1: worse. It's worse.
0: Our lawn's even got it.
1: Everybody's got it. And Our
0: lawn is not the apex of perfection <laughs> no, of ground. No, it's
1: not. <laughs> no. No? It's not. But um, there's a lot of lawns that it have had a really hard
0: time. And one thing that happens often too in people's lawns is something dies. You got a shrub out there and it dies. You take it out and you think, Oh yeah, I filled the hole back up again. But then the next year you notice that there's a big depression there.
1: Well it compacts down.
0: It settles down in there and then there's a, a hole and the grass kinda of grows over it and you think, Oh, I'll remember to take care of it but you don't until you step in the hole.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then it's a drag. And like that woman was just saying, you know, once that those holes start, you really got to start doing something about them. And that is the way to handle it. Fill them up gradually. I noticed that when you did work at the, uh, the condominiums that you used uh, large rock in the holes first before you put sand in. Right. Uh, that was well, a really smart move.
1: Those were holes that had been left by trees planted a long time ago. They weren't very big because the trees never really grew. But uh, – they were deep. So you had to fill them with rock and then put sand on them.
0: Right, because if and you filled up with sand, it would just filter off into the surrounding soil.
1: And a lot of the grass didn't come on from this winter, so I'll have to go through and reseed it all again anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. But anyway. And, and so besides the surface water and the lawns, another thing that often happens when I'm out visiting people is they want to talk about privacy hedges.
1: Well, you know, hedges are really cool. And uh, the thing most people think and not that they're wrong. I don't mean it that way. that they have to have it all be one one type of plant, you know, some kind of so often an evergreen or or something. But I think that having a a pattern set up, here's an evergreen for five or six feet and then you have something flowering for five or six feet and something evergreen for five or six feet and something flowering and not that the flowering things have to be all the same or even the evergreens do but that you have kind of a pattern that you set up makes the hedge more interesting something you're always looking at and enjoying rather than ho-hum I know what that is I'm never looking at it again
0: well that's true and if (laughs) you if uh, you are a horticulturally aware person that's what you really want you want to have something that's going to change through the season and going to have some flowers some leaf color some different shapes and also it they attract different kinds of birds
1: and pollinators
0: and pollinators that's right butterflies bees flies you know we have we have dozens of kind of bees that are native here in southeast alaska
1: and aren't they the kind that kind of live in the ground?
0: They are almost like, all of them like live in the ground. Type? Some of them live in uh, in the tumbled woods, and some of them live in like caves. But most of them live in little holes in the ground.
1: And they're single, solitary. They're like, yes, right. they're solitary bees. They're How not odd, like, huh?
0: They're not like hives. No, they're not like hives. Mm-hmm. Hives are a real anomaly. Although there's a lot of people interested in, in beekeeping in Southeast. I'm. I would love to keep
1: bees. But you'd need a greenhouse just for the bees, wouldn't you? Well, in order to get them through the wintertime?
0: Or f- you have to I feed mean, them. You have to feed them in the wintertime because, of course, they can't, they can't forage. But also their, uh, their activity level is really, really decreased and they don't need as much then.
1: Right, but a- it, and it lasts much longer. Some years are so much longer than other years.
0: And no matter what, a lot of the bees are going to die off in the wintertime. Unless you have them, like you said, in a greenhouse in some place that they can have well, just a little warmth little protection. and culture. Uh-huh. But a lot of people have them, and they store them in a garage or in a in a shed. Well, I, don't have any, I don't
1: have either one of those either, but greenhouses I have. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, anyway.
0: Sounds I grew like up fun. keeping bees. Uh, I thought did you? they were yeah, oh, great. they were fascinating. My and parents, What kind did you keep? Italian bees. Italian. Uh-huh. Italian bees were the the. They are the most uh, manageable, the ones that can crawl around your hands and not sting you. How cool. Yeah.
1: And how was their honey?
0: Good. That's well, the only honey I knew. You know, I grew up on my parents' farm, so that's the honey we had. You know, we never bought any honey. I never had any other honey to compare it to. There you go. But it was really, really fascinating. And you know, as a, as a small person, dealing with bees is a really fascinating thing. And uh, the idea that somebody watched them long enough and figured out that they were, they were giving directions by their dance on the, on the front porch was the most fascinating scientific thing. I don't I know discovered. anything
1: about this.
0: Oh, really? Well, no. When the, so a bee discovers a, a, a nectar source. And they fly back to the hive, and they have a ritual dance in a little figure eight pattern on the porch. And other bees come and watch them. And it tells them what direction to fly according to the sun and how far off to go get it. That's fascinating. And so those bees that are going to go get it eat enough honey to get them there. Great, because they take all this energy, and if they didn't fill up their gas tank before they left, and <laughs> they, they fell short, it. they wouldn't make it. That's, That's right. Great. So they have they eat enough to get there and get it, and then they start eating there, eating the nectar, and you know the pollination occurs like that.
1: Great, but great.
0: It is fascinating, absolutely fascinating, and they are they're such models, you know.
1: You know the rhododendron is a it attracts bees. Absolutely, a lot, a lot of bees.
0: Well, anything that has that much nectar and you look at the rhododendron and it's got that style sticking up with that big glob of clear syrup on top of it mm-hmm. that's a real bee magnet yeah it is also a magnet for guys like me but, you know <laughs> gotta watch out for that
1: and azaleas flowering azaleas
0: lots by the way we have a load of azaleas coming this week
1: i know i can't wait we orange have and red yellow
0: ones. and orange and red mm-hmm. and a few pink ones and that's th- great and uh our longtime rhododendron and azalea supplier had some, so we could we could swoop down and get them. And there we got probably twenty or twenty five coming.
1: Great, I'm and, thrilled. You know, we
0: haven't had them for about five years. No, and they've the, been sold out. And the uh, the azalea we're talking about is the azalea that loses its leaves. So in the springtime, it flowers, and the flowers are brilliant colors bright orange bright yellow and they're fragrant and they're fragrant that's right and then in the autumn they turn color for fall color the real glory of them that's right Mm -hmm. it's it's surprising what a multi-season and multi-attraction plant that is
1: and then as great as they drop their leaves and you don't have to worry about them in the winter time they're tough really that's one of the
0: nicest things about the shrubs that lose their leaves is they do get a fresh crop of leaves every spring makes them really really pretty so uh we have it's a call-in show. Oh, Don't yeah. forget to put the it's number. It's a call-in show. 907-586-1800. Uh, speaking of insects, though, I have the predatory nematodes headed this way. Oh, good. To protect from the... You
1: the know, I had people coming in asking for them.
0: Well, it made a and world of difference. You know, we, for about three years, we've been able to use these, and it really has knocked the bugs away. Yep. So we're talking about a particular insect that attacks rhododendron. And if you look at the edge of the rhododendron leaf and there are these notches cut out of it, that's the feeding marks of the adult. And that tells you that it's got babies, larvae, down underground and they're eating the roots. And big that's what we really worry about. Big
1: fat larvae, too.
0: Big fat white larvae yeah, with a big yeah. yellow spot they're on really the end. Disgusting. They look like a science fiction creature, don't they? <laughs> they do. Okay, so these nematodes then go down into the ground, and the nematodes that we're, we're buying are naturally occurring here, just not in the large numbers that we need to control these bugs. So the laboratories grow the nematodes by the billions. We buy them by the hundreds of millions, and you take home like 10 million of them. And 10 million is like uh, two in teaspoons. Dissolve water and
1: pour it on the ground. That's and what you do. They go to
0: work. And they go down into the ground, and they go down there and hunt out the larvae and parasitize them and... And it doesn't you, take long, you know. Once the once the population gets established, you have to do it for two or three years.
1: So, uh, and you're getting get them. you're getting something for aphids. aphids.
0: That's right. I am. I'm getting something for aphids, and what I'm getting for aphids are lacewings, which are a really really voracious predator, and I'm getting them in a couple of manners. One of the manners I'm getting them in is as uh, large larvae, which you use as kind of a an emergency response. So if you've got violas that have aphids on them you take some of these large larvae and put like a quarter of a teaspoon in a jar of water and pour it around on the ground around them and they go how for far
1: them. does a quarter of a teaspoon go Not
0: well it's got far. millions of them you know <laughs> they're know, just they miniature would... <laughs> little things but you dissolve it in water and spread it around like that and then the other thing you get are these things that are like are kind of like the size of a matchbook and they're uh, a packet of eggs And it's got a little hook on them and you put them in your greenhouse or in your garden and you hang this little hook on the plant itself. And as the temperature warms up and that means the insect population begins to rise, the predatory insect eggs also hatch out. So when they get in in sync with the surrounding prey, they come out there and they go for them. So I've got lace wing insects, egg pouches coming also. They should be here next week.
1: Good. And you know, you have spoken to me before about the fact that prior to World War II, this is how a lot of garden gardeners took care of uh, insects in their gardens. was in this more natural...
0: Oh, it's a big business.
1: Prey and predator manner. That's right. Know? It was a like, big,
0: big business, both in California and Florida, where the nation's capitals of it. They had insectaries but who then raised once, all kinds of bugs.
1: Once we had World War II, everything went into chemical warfare. That's right.
0: That's right. And a lot of those insecticides were developed as a a consequence of wartime activity. Right. And then once they had the factories built, you know.
1: Yeah. Everything changed. Everything changed. um,
0: Before we go any further, I want to mention my friends at Tyler Rental. Want to say that going into Tyler is an inspiration. Coming to Landscape Alaska is an inspiration. You're surrounded <laughs> by beauty, and you look at all these things. You think of all the things you can and do. And you can
1: listen to David and I argue all the time.
0: Well, you can do that, but you go to Tyler Rental. You walk in, you are instantly inspired with all the things you can do, because there are all these tools there, that, and you just look at them. and go, "Oh, I could use that. Yes. Oh, I could use that.
1: Yes. I could use you've two of those. Quite a few of them.
0: That's right. You I need, do You <laughs> need to build a building for all the tools you've got. I'm. I'm uh, I have very little resistance to buying new tools
1: yes i know it's a good thing to do
0: and uh last year on father's day you bought me a battery-powered chainsaw that just thrilled me (laughs) and the idea that it's got the same battery as the battery-powered blower that you use on your landscape jobs is even better
1: well this year i'm looking at the battery-powered mowers so get ready okay dad as if i've even seen you mow a lawn (laughs) (laughs) i mowed a lawn a few years ago i've only been with you for 40 years i I, i've never seen you mow a lawn uh
0: my friend jim delivered his homestead rhubarb from the old oak bay homestead from the original time they're they're there they came this week
1: i know but i've been busy just
0: barely coming up but these are divisions of the old pioneer homestead rhubarb, and the, the ones that we're growing regularly are the great big red stemmed kind.
1: How many do we have?
0: Of his kind? Uh-huh. a dozen. Okay. And they're they're shorter and they're green rather than red. The stems are green. And they oh, have I want little a couple. Red flecks. Oh, you'll get a couple of them. I want a couple. Okay. We'll go ahead and plant them with the other rhubarbs that we have.
1: I've got my window boxes. Okay. I'll put them in that.
0: Uh, We got some some thyme and oregano and parsley and... Beautiful rosemary. Rosemary, the beautiful, beautiful rosemary. And
1: I actually saved a flat of dill that was ready to shrivel up because the air was so cold, but I put it in the house and it's still alive. So if you're looking for dill...
0: Or any of these other herbs, it's just... I mean, this is the opening weekend for us. We're not really blasting ourselves open yet because the... The plant material is still flowing in, and we're still rearranging things. But if you want to get your hands on some things that are hard to find that we might have, and one of those things is hellebores, then call me up or come and get one.
1: We have a nice herb selection, though.
0: A nice herb selection, and a lot of nice perennials, too.
1: Yep, really nice.
0: And the rhododendrons have begun to come in, and there's some absolutely beautiful rhododendrons. With the big fat buds that look like dill pickles up on top of them.
1: You have such an odd way of describing things. Who wants a dill pickle? I mean, come on. Dave. Well, they're
0: huge. <laughs> they're, they're huge and green and pointed. And they uh, they look just like potential. They got all that potential to grow and pop.
1: Okay, if you say so.
0: Okay. And the earliest rhododendrons have already bloomed out, I'm sorry to say, but that's the way it goes. Okay, so... And we have uh, a
1: lot of... We have a lot of fruiting plants. We have raspberries.
0: And lingonberries.
1: And and, uh, gooseberries.
0: And currants.
1: And currants. And those have overwintered, and they're big, and they're hairy, and they're ready to get planted in the ground.
0: And we're going to be delivering a lot of those to the landscape retail area today. Yes. Uh, including all the lingonberries. We got a bunch of lingonberries for that. We have l- l- more loads at sea now and more stuff coming yet, but the, it's beginning now. And we have uh, the hydrangeas that overwintered are showing great. their buds. They're big and fat. And we have and th- some hydrangea trees. Oh, that's right. Quick yep. fire hydrangea trees. One of the most they're so attractive. People look at them, and they go, well, I didn't know anything like that existed.
1: Well, you know, they've had them in England for a long time. And the only reason I know is when I watched the Antiques Roadshow on the BBC, uh, you know, there's, their trunks are six inches around. So that means they've had them...
0: all oh, 50 years. Yeah. And that whole idea of taking a shrub like a lilac or a hydrangea or even a rhododendron. And instead of having to have many stems and look like a bush, you prune most of those stems off, keep one stem as a trunk, and train it to be up like a trunk and then make a top on top of that. That's a, an old-fashioned kind of pattern, but it looks so very cool.
1: Well, the, really very impressive. I mean, we see them now in our nursery concept of... Of something pretty small but they actually grow to be trees oh yeah nice very nice
0: and let's see uh the hydrangeas that are just starting are it's time to give them a big shot of fertilizer everything so everything's going to need some fertilizer now all those things are going to be blooming in the next few months they're just beginning to to come into leaf and their buds are beginning to swell and they're living on the carbohydrate they stored from last year's activity.
1: And just make sure, I mean, most people's ground is moist already, but if your ground is dry because of its exposure, water the ground first before you fertilize them.
0: Anytime you put fertilizer on your plants, it acts like salt and it's going to try and suck Moisture out of the soil and the surrounding soil and the roots. So you want to it can make sure cause it to burn It can burn them and you've all seen Plants or lawns or shrubs that have been ha- had fertilizer burn and they do look just like somebody put a torch to them the edges are brown or black and they uh, and lots of the leaves are falling off And so to avoid that like mark says keep the soil moist before you apply the fertilizer and then once you do water it in
1: so next week is the big Mother's Day sale at the Safeway parking lot that all the gardening people are involved in and we will be there. So we'll probably run a podcast at this half hour next Saturday. But uh, come see us at the sale. Oh, yes. And everybody else. It'll be fun.
0: And it's it's one of those uh, Juno traditional things. You know, it used to be that they held it over on Delray Avenue and they had a ribbon they held across the street. And, and no one could get in until it was nine o'clock in time to do it. Well, they still carry that tradition on somewhat at the, the big sale here. But it's uh, if you want to get a good view of what there is for sale in Juneau, this is the place to come.
1: Oh, plus there's you're going to run into everybody you know. It's fun. Uh-huh.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so uh, we're coming to the end of our time here. And remember, you can get in touch with Margaret or I either through the telephone at 907 321 4149, online, landscapealaska at gmail, or go to our website, landscapealaska.com, and contact us through that. So, this is Margaret and Dave. We won't be here next week, but we'll be here the week after. You can listen to our podcast next week, but until we talk to you again, happy gardening.